The Hamlet Podcast, episode 159. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. After what has been quite a light-hearted scene so far, if a scene in a churchyard with an open grave can ever be light-hearted, we now take a very serious turn. In the previous episode, we noted how Shakespeare very subtly shifted us back into blank verse. The whole scene has taken place outdoors, in daylight, away from the oppressive claustrophobia of the court. It's been something like a breather for everyone, not least for Hamlet. Even while contemplating such weighty issues as death and its aftermath, Hamlet hasn't been nearly as glum as we've seen him. Now, we in the audience know whose grave this is, whose funeral procession is arriving. Very strangely, though, Hamlet doesn't. Despite having been together for quite a while, certainly long enough to have this difficult conversation, it seems that Hamlet and Horatio haven't talked about recent events at all. Horatio was in the room and saw Ophelia's behaviour. Surely he has also heard what happened to her. But he hasn't told Hamlet. Personally, I don't think this is malicious at all. Rather, it's more interesting and certainly more dynamic and dramatic to allow Hamlet a little calm before the storm that will break when he finds out. Certainly it's more interesting for us if we see Hamlet learning that he is at Ophelia's funeral. Maybe Horatio has deliberately brought him here. The small group accompanying the dead body reaches the grave, and however it is staged, it should feel quite cursory. This is not a grand funeral by any means. The priest might give a little sign of the cross, but it's quick enough to prompt Laertes to speak up. What ceremony else? Laertes is asking, is that it? From wherever they're hiding, Hamlet explains who's who to Horatio. That is Laertes, a very noble youth, Mark. Hamlet and Laertes were last seen together on stage in Act One, when Laertes was the golden boy asking permission to go back to Paris. It might seem odd for Hamlet to explain to Horatio that this is Laertes, and that he's a good guy, a very noble youth. But it makes the irony of what Hamlet doesn't know all the more painful. Given what's to come in this act, it's also quite tragic that here, before anything else, Hamlet has a chance to show us his good opinion of Laertes. And Laertes has to ask the priest again, what ceremony else? I must confess that when I worked on the play in grad school, we caught at least half of what the priest says in response. Reading it again for this episode, I was amazed at how direct and how cruel it is. Her obsequies have been as far enlarged as we have warranties. Her death was doubtful. And, but that great command o'ersways the order, she should in ground unsanctified have lodged to the last trumpet. For charitable prayers, shards, flints and pebbles should be thrown on her. Yet here she is allowed her virgin crants, her maiden strumments, and the bringing home of bell and burial. According to this man, Ophelia's funeral rites, or obsequies, have been as generous as can be allowed. They have been as far enlarged as he has warranties. Her death was doubtful, he says. They have no way of knowing that it was not a suicide, which, as we will discuss, might be more advantageous. Great command has come down, 
presumably from the king or perhaps at the intercession of the queen, and overruled any opinion that the priest might have. As far as he's concerned, she should have been buried for all time in a field. The last trumpet that he mentions is the seventh of the trumpets that will be blown signifying the end of the world, according to the book of Revelations. And, but that great command or sways the order, she should in ground unsanctified have lodged till the last trumpet. This is a pretty blunt objection to the funeral and to the royal intervention, but the priest isn't finished yet. He continues, insisting that as far as he's concerned, bits of broken pottery, metal or rocks should be thrown on her corpse rather than prayers said for her. For charitable prayers, shards, flints and pebbles should be thrown on her. Laertes should be grateful, he's saying. Instead of all this, she's getting a send-off that is far better than she deserves. Yet here she is allowed her virgin crants, her maiden struments, and the bringing home of bell and burial. Crants is an obscure word. It is a crown or a garland. If it sounds like the end of a certain name, it should. Rosencrantz means a garland of roses. Virgin crants are garlands appropriate for a virgin. Likewise, maiden struments are little bunches of flowers to be scattered for a maid. Ophelia has been brought home to her everlasting resting place with bell and burial. The priest clearly thinks that she's had more than enough. Not least given that in that culture, a person who died by suicide was technically to be buried at a crossroads with a stake through their heart, certainly nowhere near hallowed ground or a cemetery. Laertes understandably disagrees and asks again, Must there no more be done? Isn't there anything else? And the priest continues, finishing that line of verse, No more be done. We should profane the service of the dead to sing a requiem and such rest to her as to peace-parted souls. The priest confirms that there will be no more. Now he shifts to a very holier-than-thou tone, insisting that it would be a disservice to the other faithful departed for them to be singing funeral hymns to Ophelia, as they might do for people who died in less suspicious or, as he's put it, doubtful circumstances. Peace-parted souls are those lucky enough to die at peace and not be judged by such priests. How might Shakespeare's audience have responded to this harshness? It's hard to know. The play is questioning the legal definition of suicide. Remember, we had the gravediggers trying to figure out all this business of se offendendo and so on. This wasn't there by accident. At the time of writing, suicide was a very serious offence, and the language that we still unfortunately use today is to commit suicide like it's a crime. Not only that, a person who ended their own life automatically forfeited their entire estate to the crown. As such, it was very important that a distinction be made between a person dying by accidental death or by deliberate suicide. Madness or insanity was a legally acceptable excuse, and a person who was mad could not be considered to have killed themselves. But records show that less than 2% of suicides were given this ruling. It was far too lucrative for the Crown to give up such a source of income, so naturally it was very rare that such a verdict would be passed. It's also worth mentioning that the single most frequent cause of accidental death was by drowning, particularly among women. For Shakespeare to have Ophelia go mad and die by drowning, and then share all of these opinions and treatments of suicide, 
is quite a hot topic. The priest is cold and extremely unsympathetic, but he has to abide by the law. In a play that has had so much discussion of death, of suicide, and indeed has had so many badly performed funerals from beginning to end, it is a vital opinion to share. And for more about on-stage funerals in Shakespeare, and in Hamlet in particular, have a look at the show notes for this episode. With the church door metaphorically closed in his face, Laertes responds. Lay her in the earth, and from her fair and unpolluted flesh may violets spring. I tell thee, churlish priest, a ministering angel shall my sister be when thou liest howling. It is Laertes himself that has to lead the remainder of the ceremony, instructing those gathered to lay his sister in the earth. And he prays that from her fair and unpolluted flesh, a body that has not sinned since she was a virgin and had not died by suicide, may violets grow. If you remember all the way back to his early scene with his sister, Laertes told Ophelia to beware of Hamlet because his love was like a violet, sweet and intoxicating, but likely to fade very quickly. The humble violet is appropriate for Ophelia now, since she too has bloomed and died all too soon. Not only that, one of the last things Laertes heard his sister say was that all the violets withered when her father died. It's a tiny flower imbued with much significance here. Laertes keeps going, telling the churlish or rude priest that his sister will be a ministering angel in heaven while he lies howling in purgatory or hell. And of course there's a double meaning there. He could be saying the priest is lying and also that he will lie in hell. Laertes is a difficult part to play, since he exists as a foil to our hero, but in this particular scene he wins our hearts with the passion of his grief. Of course, there's now no doubt that Hamlet knows whose funeral he's watching. All of the information has been laid out in these few lines. Ophelia has died in questionable circumstances. We'll have to leave it there for now and start the next episode with Hamlet's reaction to this terrible news. As I mentioned, there'll be more information about funeral ceremonies and a whole lot more on the website, thehamletpodcast.com. Thank you, as always, for your company, and I'll speak to you next time.